Hello and welcome to Tea Room Talks, the podcast breaking the stigma. Thanks for joining us again for another week as we look into more topics that surround the mental health problems and challenges that we face. Today we're going to be speaking to Cora and she works for a large mental health charity. I think, you know, in this example it's good to see almost the small cogs that operate the large machines that, you know, boost and spread mental awareness and how to improve mental well-being and obviously what their day-to-day job roles involve to of course improve others and other people's mental health around them. We're going to be talking about what her usual work involves, um, obviously working for a mental health charity, what that involves and what they do, discussing you know the, the common themes that happen and in our society are so present and certainly the challenges around these themes that come with mental health and you know finally we're going to talk about what the the charity offers and how people can can seek help and almost breaking down that barrier that there really isn't that big eye watching you when you walk through that door to to seek help so I think it'll be really beneficial for those who perhaps haven't seeked help before or you know don't have the confidence to it it might break down that barrier for you. Let's take a listen to the chat that I had with Cora. I'm joined with Cora Walker, online community manager. Cora, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, no worries. My pleasure. Okay, so in regards to mental health, do you have any personal struggles that you have dealt with in the past or are currently dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a large reason that I now work in mental health. At the organisation that I work at, a really high percentage of us um, have personal experience. And we find that that's a really important thing that we can bring to work with us. I think it's so much easier to support other people who are struggling if you've been there yourself. In the past, I've had depression and anxiety. But like these days, it's mostly just the anxiety side of things. In regards to the anxiety, would you say it's the common phases of anxiety, such as panic attacks and obviously racing thoughts, or would you say it's more situational for yourself, like social anxiety? I think it's like a combination. Like I, I used to have panic attacks sometimes, but I don't have them anymore. Um, now I think it's more of a, when you're trying to go into a situation, it's that kind of trepidation of, oh what's it going to be like and all of the unknowns of you don't know what's going to happen um quite a lot of it is social anxiety you know I got broken into a few years ago and since then I get quite anxious leaving the flat unattended in case people break in again so it's kind of you know nervous to go out because you don't know what's going to be there but then also anxious about what's going on where you're not you know it's that uncertainty of not knowing and and like mm-hmm. you say with with that situation that you certainly dealt with it it doesn't sound like a an easy scenario to sort of recover because it sounds to me a bit like a uh, a situation you can't control and obviously there's trauma there that is I'm sure for many times like you say if you're alone in a house not a situation that's easy to deal with now you've mentioned obviously that you work for a mental health charity what does your work involve and then branch on to the company you work for what does the work that they do involve so I'm the online community manager for a mental health peer support community so if you imagine Facebook it's a little bit like that but for mental health so you've got a timeline that people can post on and private messaging between the members as well 
And um, the idea of it is just to create a safe online space where people who have experiences of mental health problems can get together and help each other, support each other, listen to each other and learn from each other. Uh, my team's job is to kind of facilitate that and make sure that happens in a really safe way. And then also if there's any needs outside of peer support that we're helping to connect the people with the further support that they might need, usually through signposting. And then also safeguarding as well. Sometimes if somebody's really struggling and their needs are kind of beyond what the community is able to support them with, they might need um, emergency help. Right, yeah. And I think that's quite interesting, obviously, working for a large organisation. Was that something that you always wanted to do or did it just sort of happen upon yourself? Or do you think your ex- personal experiences made you want to to help others and obviously get into that industry? Yeah, I didn't really know that the charity sector was a thing until I was in my 20s. I didn't know that you could actually be paid to do charity. I always <laughs> imagined it to be like a volunteer yeah. kind of thing. So, you know, when I was younger... I didn't really know exactly what it, what I wanted to do. And then when I met my wife, she works in the charity sector. And that's how I found out that there are actually jobs doing this. And it really helps to motivate me going to work, knowing that it's going to be helping somebody. I think that's like a massive motivator for me. It's what helps me sort of, you know, get out of bed in the morning to to want to go and do these things. And I find it really rewarding when you can see the community is helping people the kinds of things that people share with us about how much it means to them how much it's helped them it just kind of makes everything feel really worthwhile yeah and I think you've hit the nail on the head there where you say it's very rewarding because personally coming from a construction background by all rights I have no means by creating a podcast about mental health however with my experiences and the people I've met I've often felt that you you sort of get more out of life the more you give and you know respective of this podcast the idea was to try and help anyone that I can help who's similar to myself or maybe even completely different I think I'm quite envious of you that you, you do have a job that you you can go and help people directly to something that's such a good cause because obviously I'm I'm here doing this because I believe it's such a good cause however my industry background wouldn't necessarily show that so I think that's really interesting and I think branching to our next question which would be Working for a large organisation in the mental health sector and, you know, mental well-being, would you say that you notice um, common themes that are, are really present in society today? Absolutely. And I think it will it comes in waves and a lot of it is to do with the current state of the world, really. So during the pandemic, we saw lots of people reaching out for support around feeling very isolated and lonely. Like loneliness was a massive thing during the pandemic. I know we're still technically in the pandemic, but I mean the kind of lockdown phase of it. Also, people who are feeling very anxious and very stressed because of all of the unknowns, which is, you know, something we've already touched on a little bit. That's quite a common thing to make people feel anxious. Um, And we also see at the moment, like cost of living is a massive thing. So many people with money worries and there's such a close tie between money and mental health that it's become one of the priority areas for my organization in our strategy is to help people who are living in poverty in a survey in 2021 34 percent of tradespeople revealed that their top stress was finances and i think that really showed 
it was still quite present because not far behind that was risk of catching COVID-19. So I, th- I think, you know, I totally agree with you that with it coming in waves, it was quite interesting to see that the state of society as it goes, that there are there are big subjects that are always present, but there are new ones that I'm sure you would notice spike randomly, just depending on where the world is at. And I think that must be quite interesting to see people as a whole and how we act. Would you say, in regards to the, what your work does and how you support the you know the individual would you say that when you do see examples of helping people that there is a a lack of support when it comes to the individual person yeah I think the 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 mental health side of things is super underfunded it's it can be really challenging to be working in in this kind of area where you're signposting people to places where there may not be the support in that area like it's a bit of a postcode lottery and you can feel quite powerless as somebody who's um in my position and the position of my team because we're quite limited in what we can do um like you know our job is to be there and create a safe space for people to talk and to share but quite often because we're a really large mental health charity, people also look to us for support. And there is, you know, some support that we can offer, but the peer support site in itself is not a support provision in that way. So that can feel quite difficult sometimes. And I think we need to just remind ourselves about how what we're doing does help people and it is worthwhile because, you know, we do hear from people But yeah, like, so there are some places that are giving really good mental health provision, but there are other places that are really lacking and it is massively a postcode lottery. And I think there's a lot of reliance upon charities to kind of fill the gaps that the NHS and government funding is really letting people slip through the cracks and we're trying to catch them, basically. It it certainly isn't easy balancing support for industries out there because in, in some eyes, when you are a person who earns an income, it can often seem like it's your responsibility to find your own help. And obviously, and self-fund is is the biggest problem. You know, personally having friends and colleagues in the past that have had difficulties, unfortunately they end up at the same road where it tends to be, well, you know, you earn a living, so you should be able to pay for your own sort of mental well-being as opposed to obviously some people they they don't really know how close they are living to the breadline and I don't think like you say unfortunately there's a a large pool of people that do slip through the net and I think obviously that is such a shame and I'm, I'm sure you would agree with that and what I'd really like to know is with the work that you do for this charity how do you feel it benefits people do you feel that it's Um, a good stable place for them or do you feel that your charity more offers a place to let people get on their feet and and guide them in the right direction or are you there to to hold the hand all the way through their processes I guess it's a bit of all of it because it really depends on what part of the charity because I think earlier I didn't quite answer your question about what the organization as a whole does Um, I'm more focused on what I do but 
yeah, the charity as a whole is pretty big. We do a lot of different things. Uh, we've got the support side of things, which is what I do. And then we also have an info line that people can call that can give them um, information and support. We also have a legal line for anyone who's having issues with maybe like the Mental Health Act or discrimination, that kind of thing. We have a bunch of local charities that are kind of affiliated to us that are dotted around um, England and Wales. So those tend to do direct local support on the ground um, and they will provide such different things depending what areas they're in. And then we also have like a policy and campaign side of things. It's like lobbying the government to change, to get, get a better deal for people with mental health problems. And we also work with the media. So we're trying to influence storylines on TV and make sure there's less stigmatizing content on soaps yep. and dramas and radio shows. Like it's just, it's a really, I think you have to look at mental health and society as such like a, a rounded thing. Like it's what we watch, it's what we consume, it's who we're surrounded by, it's what we have access to, it's the control that we have over like politics or the lack of control of politics yeah. <laughs> and like you know what the government is doing yeah. and being like oh my god what do I do with this yeah so it's pretty cool seeing all of those different sides of things and what a massive difference each of them makes like we used to have a, a collaboration with another charity called time to change which was trying to focus on breaking stigma and that ran for like quite a few years and then it kind of got to the point where stigma is no longer the problem. I mean, there's still sectors where mental health and conversations about how you're feeling are really stigmatized. But as a general society, we're much better at having those conversations now. And now the issue is, okay, so you've come out, you've asked for help, but where's the help? Yeah. Um, and that that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. You mentioned there about influencing the media for what obviously should change and what needs to change and what are your thoughts on social media and and do you think that there's you know a problem that can resent in people in regards to self-image self-esteem um and we're talking about social media as a whole you know various social media platforms with um broadcasting obviously your personal and business lives do you notice a large theme about these topics with the work that you do yeah, so when I first started working in the charity sector, I was specialising in social media. So that's what I did for quite a few years. So I kind of see it as like a two-headed beast in some ways. On one hand, it's quite damaging and quite a toxic place. And, you know, all of the beauty standards and like the, the filters, I think filters are having a massive impact personally because people are choosing to view themselves through a lens that doesn't really exist and they're viewing others through that lens as well and it just it creates this fictitious in quote marks perfect world that you can't actually access day to day and I think because you're not perceiving yourself when you're out in the world you're seeing other people you're kind of I guess in some ways not always aware of the impact that it's having on you personally because if you're seeing yourself always in photos and stuff that you're looking back on in filters and then when you go out in the world you're kind of just yourself that could yeah. really hurt your self-esteem because you're like oh I'm not as good as the picture version of me and yeah. you can't I just I don't know if it makes sense but I find it weird not being able to see myself in my surroundings because obviously yeah. you're 
kind of unaware unless someone takes a photo of you or you're being filmed. And yeah. I think that then when we see those candid photos and things like that, it can be a little bit of a shock to the system because you'll be like, wait, that's not what I look like. As you mentioned, you know, you don't see yourself in a candid state and people are, are so keen to have fake candid options for how that mm-hmm. might be. And I think as well, you can relate to that because in regards to business, much like personal social media, put a filter on and, and look a certain way, businesses can post images, even obviously my background, I have a business page for my electrical work. And obviously, it's great to tag companies or products that I might use. But obviously, there are some uh, companies that I notice out there and even myself I find myself looking at other companies who offer electrical work and I think oh, my work's not as good as theirs or it's not as shiny and clean or look at that they've managed to have that money in a job to get this certain tool and you find yourself going down the same path and it, it's not about self-image there but it's more to do with my business image and uh, you know I find myself going down that same road which I think is very interesting because much like you said with it being a beast with two heads you know it is the devil you know and you can use it to your advantage or it can really eat away at you and I think that's something that's certainly changed and increased over the years the impact of social media yeah because it's so curated I think that's the thing like none of it's really real I think even with you know like the introduction of stuff like be real and like the TikTok equivalent I can't remember what it's called where people are supposed to be posting candid shots that's still it's still not real people are still curating those yeah and it's like we can't even be real but then I see the really good side of social media as well working on charity social medias previously you see the amount of change you can make and that like the power of people when they come together and they connect through social media can be astonishing. It's got so much good within it, but it's also super toxic. Yeah. So it's um, Well, like you say, yeah. it can be a force for good. There's a lot of people who are happy to dismiss it. Brilliant, but you, you don't realise how, how big of a part it is to our everyday lives that actually would improve our everyday lives. And I think it's just a new new culture that you know as a society we sort of adopted and it's more present what would you say to people who are who are scared to take that jump and, and get in contact I kind of look at it sort of how my anxiety works in a way so whenever I'm really anxious about doing something I just have to do it and that sounds really obvious but um, I think about it kind of like a really freezing cold swimming pool so you know how if you kind of dip your toe into the freezing cold swimming pool, it, you just recoil. It's really hard to like just make yourself jump in. You know it's going to shock you. It's going to be uncomfortable, but then you're going to adjust once you're in. So you just need to jump and then adjust, you know? Like it's just that first move Certainly. of just jumping in is the hardest bit. And yeah. then they are trained professionals that are there to make you feel comfortable, who are there to support you. And there are also different ways to get in touch. So some people don't like talking. Some people prefer emailing. Some people prefer instant messaging or web chat. Some people like texting. Um, Some people like face-to-face. And there are those services that provide all of those different avenues. So it has to be what you feel most comfortable with. And if you're not sure what to say, you can write down some bullet points of things that you want to remember to say. That can be quite helpful especially if you're going to talk to a GP about your mental health, which for a lot of people is their first step to getting that support that they need is through their GP. Mind actually have a web page about reaching out to your GP that has a lot of good tips 
on it about how to talk to them about what you're going through, how to find those words. But you can also apply that to any kind of service that you're reaching out to. Your analogy there, I can really speak levels to because, I mean, I don't know about yourself, but when my initial problems first came about, the very first day going to the GP, it was gut-wrenching to feel so humiliated and so embarrassed all of my own doing you know it's not like there was a crowd of people outside laughing as I came out but that was the worst day and it can only get better from that point on and I think that's what makes sense to me because obviously I'm on the other side of that where I've, I've tried to to get help and obviously what concerns me is the people that would view help or counselling, therapy, or just simply talking to someone as as a bit of red tape and something that they think as soon as they reveal this, they might feel embarrassed or vulnerable. But from me talking to you, there's no there's no embarrassment here. There's no humiliation yeah. and there's no judgment. You know, and I think that's the the key aspect here of what people are scared of. The work that obviously the the charity organisations that are about to do is absolutely fantastic and. In regards to people who are looking to, to reach out or perhaps don't know where to turn, it is, as you say, it is that first step that is the hardest and that is what a lot of people need to bear in mind and, and I think you'd happily dismiss the um, the rumours where or the myth even that it's you're there to be laid out and um, judged for what you think about and what you, you feel and you're not going to be yeah, judge like an exam. I think you'd happily disagree with that if uh, absolutely. I'm <laughs> and I think also something that I find comforting. I don't know if everyone else would is to think I'm not special. You yeah. know, which sounds counterproductive, but if you think about it like this, it's like my experience is not unique. A lot of other people have gone through anxiety. A lot of other people have gone through depression. Like if you're talking to your GP about this, it's not the first time that they would have heard it. You are not special and unique. You are somebody that's experiencing the same thing that a lot of other people are and have. And you deserve the support as much as they do. And it's not going to shock them. It's not going to um, make them go home to their wife or whatever and be like, oh, you never guess what I heard today. Because it's it's normal. Yeah. Like it's it's so normal for people to struggle with their mental health. And that doesn't mean that it's right, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like it's better to be in a place where you're mentally healthy. But I think there's also the kind of um, frame through which we look at mental health. Like everyone has mental health. Like every single person in the world has mental health. Um, some people are mentally healthy and some people are less well and it's kind of a massive spectrum um, and lots of people have different experiences everybody has it like you're not an island would you say in regards to industries that are out there are there any that sort of stick in your mind that are particularly bad for representing the improvement of mental health I know that there's really high levels of mental health problems within the farming community and within the construction community. Those are the two ones that I do hear mentioned. And I think a lot of it comes down to toxic masculinity because they're quite traditionally male industries. And I think, you know, suicide is still one of the biggest killer of men. So 
You know, I, I think despite the fact that we've come so far in terms of society being able to talk about mental health and recognise mental health and understand it better, there's still a long way to go, especially for men to feel able to open up to each other, um, and especially in very like traditionally masculine industries talking from a man's point of view you know and dealing with these industries in the past you know I've certainly almost been stonewalled in regards to opening up about my feelings and people around me and I think it's quite interesting to say you know from the point of view of men and 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 construction you know that the fact that there's two suicides a day in the construction industry as that industry alone sort of tells you all you need to know about that and it doesn't mean that it's the most out there but it just tells you as a as a staple fact that is the outcome and I think it's quite interesting a survey conducted by the HSE last year was really interesting that showed the levels and ages of people that suffered from stress and obviously the most common age groups and and females were 25 to 34 however males the two joint levels were 25 to 44 um so slightly higher in number of percentage of those age groups but also longer age groups and um i think you say like within these industries although young i think there is a lot of problems with the older generation perhaps uh, and and the old fashioned views i mean would you say that that's quite respective of the people that you would deal with and obviously the the culture that they perhaps come from yeah i th- i think that you know we're made by the environments that we're in <laughs> it's not a very eloquent way of saying it yeah. we will unfortunately repeat what we know we will act in the way that others act around us from a construction point of view you know sitting in building sites or having a chat you know there's certain things that don't get spoke about and if you you do speak about them you're the odd one out when you talk about the toxic uh, masculinity you're mm. almost look to be gay if you don't fart and gob just before you get in there because that's what blokes do you've got to be a, a proper bloke and I find it so interesting that I'm obviously I'm still in this industry but not as extreme that it is so far away from what it means to be a man being a man is a simple human aspect that does not mean anything in regards to emotion but it has been cultured that the way we feel like being a man means tougher why does that mean doesn't mean like you could be tougher than me what does that matter it doesn't matter to me doesn't matter to you but to some people being the man you have to be tough and that we see emotions as not being tough that's that's like the thing that really baffles me like you said before about like oh if you don't do this and that that you're gay and you're not a real man like the fact that being gay is seen as not being a real man by some people is also just astounding like in 2022 I think in terms of like the vulnerability and like oh don't be emotional and stuff I just I kind of find it a little bit funny that men have managed to rebrand anger as not an emotion because that's definitely emotion. But if you say to like an angry man, like, oh, stop being emotional, they'll be like, I'm not emotional. Yep. And, you know, they can get quite um, heated about it. But having the strength to talk about how you're feeling, like that's a something that you have to be quite brave to do because you're letting people into like, quite a vulnerable space. And even even where I work, where we have quite an open culture and we really encourage everyone to talk about their mental health, it can still feel vulnerable opening up. So it's, 
I think the opposite of like wimpy I think it is a, a tough and strong thing to do to talk about your feelings and I I really think that it's starting to change as well because like you said the older generations are the people who because of how they were taught have taught their children the same things and there's still that kind of toxic element of like oh just you know stiff up a lip and all of that but looking at gen z they give me so much hope for the future because i can see the transformation that's happening especially like on tiktok i spend a lot of time on tiktok (laughs) tiktok's great i'm I'm all for cat videos me (laughs) yeah i'm somehow on like gen z tiktok it thinks i'm not a millennial i don't know why but um seeing the, the shift and the change in the approach to to masculinity to mental health to everything is so encouraging and i think that there's going to be a lot of changes and people are breaking that cycle I'm seeing a lot of um, millennials as well who are making a concerted effort, especially in terms of how they're parenting their children. Yeah, like they're using like gentle parenting, and they're not telling them to just stop crying. I think that's what I had a, a guest, John. He he mentioned about you know being a father. He never says the phrase as like big boys don't cry or you know mm-hmm. come on stop crying or what's up with because there is no reason to hide emotions and certainly as a man even the way I've been brought up hasn't been in a negative way but even obviously my peers around me and colleagues I would never find myself crying at work that's you know during my years of an apprenticeship however when I've been older and if there's ever been times it's it's not greeted I don't know why people think you know as soon as you burst into tears what's going to happen you know no one's going to attack you you know no one's going to think less of you and if anything you know from my point of view if someone I was working with was was to burst into tears or to tell me how they really feel, I the last thought from my mind is what what a weakling or or what, how <laughs> yeah. pathetic. I end up thinking like, do you know what? Credit to the guy. I'd I'd really like to say thank you for for joining me on this. It's been absolutely fantastic. I think the work that you do is is fantastic and. And obviously it benefits so many people. Once again, I'm, I'm hugely envious that you do manage to help so many people uh, with such an in, important topic. And I really hope for anyone listening, they they do listen to this and they do feel like these charities aren't there. They're not there to trip you up. They're there to help you. And yes, it might be difficult to apply. It might be hard, but that they are there for you. And I think that is the bottom line. Um, I'm sure you would agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I think, like you said yourself, reaching out is the first step to feeling better. I know some some mental health problems are not ones that are curable, but you still deserve support and it can still make that journey a, a lot easier to have someone holding your hand or just guiding you or um, giving you that, that listening ear. So, yeah, yeah thank have you for, for having me in. And thank you once again. Um, it's, it's been a, a real pleasure. The chat that I had with Cora there. Once again, another interesting topic, um, certainly for myself. I hope you find that interesting because there's a few things, even for me, that really resonated with me. You know, it's true, it's extremely hard. The first sort of day getting that help is the hardest, but you, you sort of never look back. But certainly the, the myth that surrounds these places that it's impossible or almost 
judgmental when you go to and I'm sure people are judgmental but certainly as a a charity organization are not judgmental on people and problems that come to them and I certainly think obviously speaking to Cora uh, a different area of uh, serving the charity and the work she does you know again what absolutely brilliant to help people and boost their mental well-being and, and offer that safe space that she does for her work so I think it's really fantastic once again for this episode there'll be various links in the description for information or help and uh, topics that we've spoke about today so have a look if they're relevant to you and and hopefully they are and obviously they benefit you but as always if you want to get in touch contact us at hello at tearoomtalks.co.uk get in touch let us know your thoughts and opinions and of course if you think you'd like to feature and have a chat with me about a topic that you feel strongly about then by all means get in touch and we can arrange that thanks again for listening another week uh, another interview another fantastic topic and i look forward to next week and i hope you do too so thanks again